when I was in fourth grade, I'd say around nine or 10 years old, my uh, cousin and I were attending a talent show at a local high school down the street. Um, after the talent show was over, we're walking back home. Uh, we both lived with our grandparents at the time. Uh, walk on the sidewalk tonight. Um, a vehicle with a bunch of teens drives by. They look at us kind of mean mugging and then uh, slam on the brakes, do a U-turn, and then uh, head in our direction. Mm, I didn't think anything of it, but they uh, sped up and then slammed on the brakes and came to an abrupt halt, kind of jumping the curb a bit and bailing out of the vehicle. All these guys want to be gangbanger type of kids, I guess. Uh, so they all bail. My cousin doesn't even hesitate. Does a mad dash straight home. I kind of freeze. Well, not kind of. I did freeze. But it wasn't the type of freeze in the flight and fight or flight, fight and freeze scenario. It was like an analytical thing, you know, it was kind of like when you, like the Terminator, when you, you, you watch the Terminator and he has this list of, uh, when he scans something and there's this list of options that, that, uh, that are available in his, uh, his vision. And, uh, you know, I was trying just calculating, like, what could these guys want? Why would they want to beat up, a, a, you know, fourth grader? I don't. I didn't have anything. I didn't have Air Jordans. I didn't have a unicorn in my back pocket, or you know, a pot of gold in, in my other pocket. You know, it's like, uh, what the hell these guys want? So uh, three of the teens speed past me after my cousin, the leader. I guess he was a leader. He. Uh, walked directly towards me. I looked at him in the face, looked at me, then he grabbed my, grabbed me in kind of like a, a bro headlock. It wasn't, I didn't feel threatened or anything. And then he said, you're a hard little guy, man. You didn't run like a bitch, but your friend or whoever that was right there, we're gonna fuck him up. So I started to relax a little more knowing that he was gonna beat me up, but I didn't really, I wasn't afraid even when they bailed out of the vehicle. But anyway, three teens come back, they're out of breath they didn't have much to say uh the leader was like get in the car and they complied they all jumped in the vehicle kind of looking me up and down as uh as they walked by or jogged by maybe wondering why i wasn't looking like a, a beat up pile of hamburger meat but uh the guy uh that you know he let go of my neck, 
and he gave me like a one of those rubs on the head and he's like stay hard little man you're gonna go far one day and then uh, I just kind of nodded my head you know I kept eye contact with him and I watched as they got back in the car and they sped off again and uh, I didn't want to run because I didn't want to trigger that chase instinct that a lot of animals have. I don't know, maybe it was my cousin running like that that made the other three instantly chase him, but I thought logic at the time was let me wait until they're out of sight and then I'll bolt home in case they have any second thoughts. So when they're out of sight, I uh, retrace the steps, you know, home looking for my cousin you know blood trail any kind of anything you know i was like these guys must have obviously caught him i mean my cousin he was obese now granted i'd never seen him run that fast but i didn't there was no way in hell he outran these guys so you know i was looking in the bush the bushes along the way uh just any signs of struggle you know anything I could find, but nothing. So I was like, <clears throat> I'm wasting time here. He could really need my help. So I'm just gonna run home. My granddad, he can fix it. I mean, he's a World War II slash Korean War vet, strong guy. Uh, I've seen him kick my dad and my uncle's dad's ass at the same time. So this is the man that's gonna solve the problem. So I got home, burst through the door, and I saw my grandmother there, and I was like, hey, hey, we just got jumped. Some other kids jumped us. James missing. I don't know where he is. We have to find him. And then my grandmother laughed. She's like, what, the, what are you talking about? James is over there eating ice cream. So I peek around the corner, and there he is, enjoying a nice big bowl of ice cream. Now, thinking back on that and, and how, how I felt, it, it was like he put more of a priority on those three scoops of ice cream he had in that bowl. I remember, it was fucking three scoops. And... Uh, you know, I could have been bleeding to death where seconds count. You know, in a trauma situation, you can bleed out in seconds. So he is just slurping this thing and burying himself in this ice cream. And I'm looking at him and he's trying to hide it and stuff his mouth so he doesn't have to speak and respond to what I was saying. And I thought, what could I say to a person like that? He has zero concern for me. And uh, what could I teach him from this scenario? And uh, I just let it go. But it did affect our relationship even to this day. I just, from that point on, he was subhuman to me. So 
this little story isn't about how much of a badass I am, how I stood in the face of four teenage wannabe gangbangers that are going to beat up some little kid. It's about how I used my experience growing up in a, an abusive household to defend myself or uh, protect myself from scenarios just like this one. So this wasn't the first altercation I had before. I mean, lived in a kind of a rough neighborhood. Um, I've had fights before, but when you're taking punches from a grown man, i.e. My, my stepdad, little kid punches or teenage punches don't hurt that much. I remember the first time I was uh, in, a, in, a, in a fight and the kid threw a punch at me and it was coming at me and it, it was almost like slow motion. I was waiting for it. To, there was no way I could block it. It was so fast and I was like waiting, bracing for this impact and thinking it was going to hurt as much as my stepdad hit me. But boom, it wasn't, it was like getting hit with a pillow. Uh, you know, it made me smile. The kid probably got freaked out. But I was thinking to myself, man, if this is if this is it, I could do this all day. You know, this is no big deal. I could just stand there and take everything this kid has. And it's not <laughs> it's not gonna do anything to me. I've taken worse than this. And with that attitude I've used I've used that in every scenario, every, every, every fight up, you know, up until that point that I just related to you. So it wasn't that I was brave enough to take on four teens. It was like I was mentally strong enough to take an ass kicking and didn't care. So if they were going to, if we were going to fight, I was just going to give it everything I had and, you know, just, they keep punching and they'll probably just get tired and move on because it's not going to hurt me. I felt like I had superpowers after, uh, after dealing with my stepdad and then having to fight kids my age or a little bit older. It was like, it was, it was exactly like having superpowers because I felt invincible. None of these people could hurt me. So a lot of people will use past traumatic events or uh, any kind of uh, issue or challenge they had in the past to define who they are or give them uh, excuses for how they failed in life, why they couldn't become whatever, an astronaut, for example. Um, and you, you can uh, approach life like that, like a crutch. You can use those experiences as a crutch to 
invite everyone to a little pity party why you didn't achieve this or that or why you, you were a mediocre person. Or you could approach it with a different uh, tactic and use negative experiences, traumatic events as a spear and use that spear to combat anything and anyone that stands in your way. So the next time you're in a traumatic or challenging situation, you can defeat it or you're better armed to handle the situation mentally, physically, whatever. So that's that's the title of the episode, Crutch or the Spear. You know. But if you use if you're that person who uh uses the crutch, it's not too late to turn your life around. So the negative experiences I had with my stepdad, you know, being abusive, uh helped me in, uh, later on in life when I was in difficult situations as a police officer, fi- even firefighter, paramedic in D.C. Uh, and overseas on missions, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan. So what kind of guy was this? Well, he was a handsome guy. He was fit. He was a canine guy in Vietnam. I don't remember how long he was there, but he was there. I know that he would show me photos from Vietnam, but it was mostly pretty girl photos and kimonos. Not kimonos, but that silk outfit that Vietnamese women wear or stereotypically wear. I don't know if they're photos from brothels or what, but he never had any good war stories. It was always, you know, freaky shit like that, you know, that he's showing a, a you know, five, six-year-old kid. Like, I'm one of his bros and, you know, bragging about your sexual exploits in your travels and whatnot. But uh, he was a freaky guy, man. And uh, I remember just him being super confident and uh, very intimidating. I think the whole neighborhood was afraid of him. Uh, as far as work, I don't know. He, he had some mid-management level job and uh, and uh, General Motors, at one of those factories in Ohio, and uh, you know when he he would uh, bring us to like corporate events, you know he was he was that guy, not the guy that everyone circles around for jokes or anything like that but that guy that everyone kind of bowed down to or respected even people above him behind the scenes this guy was a total freak man 
he always walked around naked and when he was in the house. And sometimes he'd answer the door naked or just look out the window naked. And I guess it was that confidence he had. I'd, I kind of think it stems from he had this huge donkey dick. That's all I remember when I was a kid. Cause it was like him walking down the hallway, butt naked. And even in a, in a semi-flaccid state, <laughs> you know, it was almost dangling down to his knees. And every time it walked, it, he walked, it made that, like, meat-smacking sound on his legs. It was like, every time he walked, you know. And he would answer the door like that. So the mailman was, or the male lady at the time, he'd open the door, and you know, you know, sometimes you'd hear a scream from. <laughs> he'd answer, answer the door with that big ass monster dick. And maybe that, maybe that, maybe that was the root of his uh, confidence, just having the. You know, the biggest dick in town, I guess. You know. Maybe that, maybe uh, that's saying, oh, here comes King Dingaling. You know, maybe that's, maybe it stemmed from that. Just having that knowledge that you got the biggest dick around. It just gives you like an uber confident alpha attitude. Who knows? But that's, a, <laughs> that's how this guy was, man. Thank God he wasn't like pedophile that like boys because I can't imagine me surviving an attack from that thing uh, funny thing is my brothers inherited that gene <laughs> unfortunately I didn't but I've got no complaints <laughs> so anyway um, pretty much uh how I ended up at my grandparents' house was, uh, I guess, there was something I had done. I don't know if I didn't finish my food. I don't know if I, I didn't uh, run to his side when he called my name, because that was frequent. Got frequent ass kickings right there. If he called my name and I didn't hear it, like if, you know, kids are in the zone, either they're watching TV or playing with their, their toys. I and mean, my kids do the same thing. I'll call their name from the other room and they won't hear me. And in your mind, you're thinking, this, this, this guy hears me. But at that time, you know, I didn't hear him. All I'd, all I'd uh, know is I'm being yanked out of my room or yanked out from in front of the TV or, or from the pile of toys I was playing with. And I'd be getting my ass kicked because I didn't run. I didn't hear him calling. And he was like, you heard me calling you. And then he'd do all this fucking crazy shit. He'd slap me around, throw me down the stairs, whatever. But uh, this particular time, it was snowing outside. And uh, he told me to go outside. And I'm, I'm like, woohoo, yeah, let's do it. It's a blizzard. Thick chunks of snow are coming down. I'm in my pajamas. It was at night. So I'm like, heck yeah, let's go, man. So I'm thinking they're coming behind me. 
But as soon as I walk out of the door, it's like, clam, click, click, lock the door. I'm like, oh, that's a little weird, but look at all this snow. So I started jumping in the snow, making snowballs and snowmen. And uh, then um, it started getting fucking cold, man. All of, you know, uh, kids can endure cold. Like uh, my sons and daughters will jump in this cold river here in, in December. No issues. They just want to swim and have fun. Or when we go to the beach sometimes in the winter, they'll strip down to their underwear and jump in the ocean. It's crazy. And I remember being the same way. So... You know, I was playing and playing and playing, and I uh, I could see them staring out the window, my mom and my stepdad, and they're watching me, whatever. And I was like, "All right, it's time to come in." So I'm I'm standing, waving, I'm like, "Hey, I'm ready," and then they're just looking at me. So I was like, "Oh, let me see if I could play a little more." Oh, I haven't made a snow angel, so I'm gonna make a snow angel. So I plop down in the in the snow and I made a snow angel, which is crazy because I'm getting really cold this time and now I'm wet and I'm cold, I'm in fucking pajamas and I've just got slippers on. So now, all right, now I'm shivering. I'm, my hands are, my fingers are tingling, my toes are tingling and then knocking on a door and they are not letting me in. So I'm like, what, what the fuck? So, I decided to uh, go over to my grandparents' house. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to freeze to death out here in the cold. So, I, uh, I don't know how late it was, but there were no cars on the street. Um, like I said, it was a blizzard. You know, the, it was that thick snow where you could, when you walk, you hear the crunch. You know, the crunch, 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 you know. Uh, these were, I guess I'm kind of lucky it was uh, snowing like that because, you know, there could have been some psychopath out there that would have loved to get get their hands on a uh, eight-year-old. So uh, I lucked out. I made it to my... Uh, grandparents house they live like I don't know three miles away so uh, and it's not this exaggerated three miles that you hear oh yeah I walked up the hill three miles to school and bare feet and all that shit no it was, it was three miles away I did a fucking google map on it and uh, in the cold but knocked on my grandparents door and they're like what in the hell are you doing here they called my mom and next thing you know my stuff is being dropped off over my grandparents house and then I lived there for the next couple years until my mom eventually got the courage to uh, leave my uh, stepdad So, 
probably give my mom more shit than she deserves. But uh, especially all those years letting, you know, this guy beat the shit out of me and her just standing by not doing anything. Uh, it's not that, I mean, I wasn't the only one getting smacked around. She was getting just as much on a daily basis as I was. And I kind of understand that survival mentality now. Just, you know, my experience as a police and firefighter and, and seeing how women react in domestic violence situations, uh, especially often when you, you arrive on a scene of a domestic violence uh, call and the woman who calls you ends up jumping on you as you arrest the husband as a show of solidarity or uh, loyalty by showing the abuser that you know, they're, they're still on their side or I don't know. I've never been in that situation, but that's the best way I can describe what I saw with my own eyes. So anyway, like I said, instead of giving her a lot of shit over the years, I should have been praising her for finally having the courage to leave and get us out of that uh, and far away from that guy. But teenage angst, man, uh, as I got older with no adult supervision, um, I didn't listen to a word she had to say. Her words were meaningless, fruitless. I, she could tell me one thing and I would act like she wasn't even there. Um, I was just living in the house, you know, going to school when I felt like it. When she'd be out of town, I'd have these big raging parties at the house. House would be destroyed, ransacked. Uh, I had zero respect for her. She was having, I don't know, just random guys over from time to time. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and there'd be some guy wearing her bathrobe sitting on the couch, feet kicked, propped up on the coffee table, whatever. You know, and just seeing multiple men like that and the way that they were treating her. And then prior to that, the way my stepdad was treating her. I, st I think I started to value women less, value what they say, value their opinions, value their input on anything. You know, I just saw them as... Uh, a weaker, a weaker being, and not worth considering anything, especially if they're in, in some kind of authoritative role like a teacher or an instructor or whatever. You know, I think I carried that attitude for a while Unfortunately, you know, I didn't have any positive role male models as a child, so I just imitated what was around me. And uh, it took me a while to get out of that. 
it took me a while to figure it out on my own. <clears throat> I remember uh, my mom coming home from some business trip and, you know, there's kids passed out. There's She comes in my room, there's like, she's stepping over naked girls. Uh, and then she shoes everyone out and then you know I'm fucking hung over and passed out and she wakes me up crying and, and she asks me you know what did I do to you to make you treat women so badly and I didn't have a response for her I just rolled over went back to sleep but I'll never forget that you know, I felt like maybe I was, I don't know what I was getting back at her or whatever, who knows, but that was just that teenage angst, man. Uh, I was taking it out on the wrong person, you know. I just thought of her, the full-time version of a coward, instead of, like I said, praising her for getting me out, because if we would have stayed in that house. Who knows what happened, you know? The abuse was starting to ramp up to the point he was putting guns in our face, you know, having us down on our knees, pointing guns at us, then pointing the gun at his face, you know, saying after he wasted us, he's going to waste himself. So, I don't know. I just, dealing with all that, man, it just, it just made me numb to, like, fear because to me that dude was the boogeyman I mean there was no greater monster than him so if I was in a situation with uh, other kids or multiple kids where I was being threatened or or in a fight or whatever it just it just didn't phase me because there's nothing like I said that they could do to hurt me I was, I was immortal I was invincible I was Achilles you know you know, I'd get into fights and I didn't start fights, but I would put myself in situations where there would be a fight, 100%, because I shouldn't be in that situation. You know, I was going to bars when I was like 13 and talking shit to the bouncers or uh, someone that looked at me wrong. I'd ask them what they were looking at and then it, of course it's going to escalate. Or if the bouncer didn't like my fake ID, you know, then it would escalate. Or you're going to a high school football game and then you go to the McDonald's that everyone goes after the game, you know, at, at that rival school and, and you're from the opposite school, obviously something's going to kick off. I never went there with the intention of starting it, but I knew it was going to kick off, and I knew I was going to finish it. That's just, I don't know why I did that. But it was fun. There was nothing to do. You know, it was Ohio. <laughs> Youngstown, Ohio, a former booming steel town. And uh, after all that collapsed, I mean, it was... It was 
a ghost town, you know. There's nothing to do but drink, fight, fuck. So that's what we did. And then uh, fast forward to uh, my mom wanting to get out of the Youngstown area and move us a little farther away because uh, stepdad was still popping in and out. At the time, she was uh, trying to get a degree. You know, sometimes he'd, you know, and we'd, uh, my mom would take us to university. Crazy when you think about it, because, I mean, she's, she's, uh, hmm, I guess late 20s, 30s, and she's taken me and my brothers to uh, a college campus, and she's like, hey, wait in the library, don't talk to anyone, just stay here until I'm out of class. So that would be our our daycare center, the Youngstown State University Library. And thank God there are no pedophiles, no creeps that uh, tried to snatch me or my brothers because I definitely wasn't watching them. I was reading books and in my own little world to pay attention to what they were really doing. <clears throat> so there were a few times where, uh, you know, Stepdad would arrive on the scene, be you know, see us in the uh, library, ask where mom was, whatever. You know, I would ignore him, but my little brothers would tell him. He would track her down in the classroom, drag her out, and beat the shit out of her in the hallway in the college, and no one would fucking do anything. No police would come on the scene. No students intervened. I mean, that's, that should give you a little example of how crazy this dude was and how intimidating this dude was because any normal person that would watch a woman get dragged out of the classroom by her hair and then get beat down in the hallway just outside the, the classroom any normal human you'd think would at least lift and lift an eyebrow, you know, but nothing. And that's how intimidating it was. That dude had a presence like you wouldn't believe. Like I said, I don't know what kind of soldier he was in Vietnam, but he had a presence that if he looked at you, it hurt. <laughs> He, he, his looks felt would would KO somebody. That's how badass he was. So uh, my mom endured that. You know, fortunately, they didn't kick her out of school because of that stuff. Because it's better and easier, probably, to get rid of the student that is causing that than call the police. I guess who knows, but. Anyway, she got her degree, sociology, got a look, you know, paging through the, the want ads and found a job in the D.C. area, the DMV. And then uh, packed us up. We moved 500 miles away from that asshole and life got a lot better. Did my attitude change? Fuck no. Um, I still... Was 
kind of a little asshole. But, you know, I was pitching in. You know, I got a little job at a, you know, bussing tables and at this restaurant. And I don't know if the restaurant owner felt sorry for me or whatever. It was like a seafood restaurant. So he, he would give me all the food that kind of was left over. Not scraps from people's plates, but he said I could take anything that didn't get sold that night. So, you know, I was taking home, you know, steaks, crab legs, shrimp, all that shit, you know. So that, that kind of added to the family contribute, you know, income, I guess, you know, because she didn't have to buy food, but whatever. But the first area we end up moving into, it was kind of rough, you know, and, and back in Youngstown, I had white friends, black friends, you know, the only racial groups, it was like uh, some Eastern Europeans, you know, like Polish and Hungarians, and there was Italians and Greeks uh puerto ricans there there was only kind of latino group in that area that were with puerto ricans you know the only yeah there was a middle eastern family running a corner store and like the only time you saw like indian people or you know chinese people were like at the hospital they were like doctors or whatever but it wasn't very diverse so when i got to uh the dc area you know, it's it's very diverse. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the only Spanish people I ever met before were Puerto Ricans, but now there's Mexicans, Colombians, man, you name it. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of Asians, you know. In my school, there's a lot of Vietnamese and uh, Colombians in that area that I lived in, blacks. Uh, it was Falls Church High School, if anyone's familiar with the DMV. But anyway, when I was there, blacks didn't like me, man. I don't know why. I used to get into a lot of fights there, uh, which I didn't mind. They learned their lesson. Uh, I guess they thought since I was from Ohio, I was some hillbilly in their mind. That's what they used to call me, some kind of hillbilly. But they learned really fast. Uh, I wasn't the guy to mess with. Didn't have a lot of friends. I had one friend who was from Vietnam. The other guy was from Colombia. But they weren't really friends. They were just there. You know, it's not hang out a few times. But I was just too busy working, you know. Because, you know, my mom was so sick of me. It was like, yeah, when you turn 18, can't wait till you get out of here type of thing. So that's all I focused on. I was like, oh, I'm going to start working, and then, you know, I'll figure it out, you know, when I graduate type of thing. So uh, moved around a bit more, and this time we moved to a nicer neighborhood. So we're like the lower-income family that's in the rich neighborhood, I think Sir Pell has a joke about that, about his mom moving him to, you know, they were the poor people in the rich neighborhood type of thing. And that's kind of like how we were. And uh, things got a little better. I started playing rugby. And 
and uh, made more friends. And uh, but like I said, just not having a male all my life, I was just disrespectful to my mother and uh, and to teachers and I, I was I wasn't failing. You know, I was just, I was getting by, B's and C's, and sometimes A's, whatever, but nothing to write home about. So, uh, I think it was uh, challenging for me to figure out what I was going to do, because like in the previous episode, I had that childhood dream where I wanted to be a firefighter, but you know, these teenage years and uh, feeling of hopelessness and not, not going to be anywhere to do anything with my life kind of crushed those dreams until I finally snapped out of it and made it a reality. But uh, going back to the crutch or the spear, I could have used so many of those experiences to uh, be in therapy about and whine about and cry about, but it made me a stronger person when it came to, like, all right, boom, I'm on the fire department. I figured out that, you know, I'm not a piece of shit. You know, I can actually save people. I can I can refocus all my anger and uh, and issues into, like, saving lives and you know doing something challenging uh i think my health improved my attitude improved you know because you you don't take life for granted i mean in daily basis you're seeing uh as on the fire department police department etc you're seeing life get cut short you know young people uh, dying for stupid reasons you know car accidents drunk and drive drunk drunk driving, uh, just falling, you know, or you arrive on a scene and the suicide and it's not like, you know, some suicides are clean with pills and, you know, just are hanging themselves. And then some suicides, just some people just take a razor and go to town. I mean, it's like bloodbaths and you see things like that. You start appreciating life more and you start, uh, having a carpe diem attitude. It's like, you know, you could be on this planet and lick your finger and hold it up in the air and see which way the wind blows, or you can, you know, be the captain of your own ship and go against, go against the wind, man. You know, you go with the wind, you just be putting your, putting the power and control of your life in someone else's hands. And, uh, I was beyond that. I wasn't having that anymore. I was moving on. You know, it was a good fire department was a good thing. You know, it gave me confidence and you know, start especially when I started saving lives. And it's like I'm looking at my hands, how the fuck did I do that? I just brought someone back to life, you know. It's a very rewarding experience and then you you it builds your self confidence. At least it did for me. And uh, I think it, it set me on the right path to uh, 
clean up my act and started treating people more respect ex- respectfully. Uh, I started to like my mood improved. Uh, I started being more open, you know, for friendships and uh, relationships and stuff like that. I treated women a lot better, uh, and that stemmed from uh, when I got out of the fire academy and. You know, I'm at my first station, and then, like, in the morning, it's cleanup time. And, you know, I'm just kind of moseying along. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm here. I'm going to, you know, do some drills today, maybe work out, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, someone, you know, grabs my arm and grabs my hand and shoves a mop in it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? What am I going to do with that? You know. And they're like, you're going to mop. we got to clean up. This is what we do every day. And I'm like, what? Where are the maids, man? Who? Don't you have, like, contractors come in and do this shit? This is women's work. And, you know, it's something my dad always told me, that, you know, washing dishes, mopping, cleaning, that's women's work. <laughs> and these guys were like, man, you better pick up that fucking mop if you want a job. And, you know, all that. I was like, these guys can do it, I can do it. I mean, these guys are more badass than I am. They're more of a man than I'll ever be, you know, as a rookie walking in the door, you know. So all the things my real dad told me about gender roles and all that was erased in an instant. And like, fire department became my father. Like, I look at the whole fire department as a human and, and uh, as a father, as, a, the whole, as a, I just describe it as a father. It, it raised me, showed me how to be a real man, and uh, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be able to navigate life with that attitude I had before. I don't know where I would have been with that attitude. But uh, I'm happy and grateful for all the the men, the mentors, the, uh, the people that set the bar high and encouraged me to uh, be better. And um, how to how to uh, overcome op- obstacles by digging in there, and you know the whole attitude of no, there's never a bad training day thing was another good uh, positive thing that I got from the fire service. You know, where sometimes we'd be out and freezing or black flag days where it's almost you know 100 degrees outside and humid whatever but you gotta train in every environment adapt to the scenarios that you might be in everyday life there's no you know fires happen whenever shootouts happen whenever you know bad guys don't sleep type of thing so Stay ready so you don't have to be ready or be ready so you don't have to get ready, whatever they say.
I can go on and on in great detail how grateful I am for those experiences on the fire department. But, you know, the episode is about the crutch or the spear. It's about using the uh, bad or the the uh, difficult and uh, as, as, a, as a way to arm yourself, as a way to strengthen yourself, sharpen yourself so you can better prepare yourself for the for any similar situation you just endured or uh, whatever difficult challenge that uh, comes your way. So, um, yeah, and the same thing with the police department and working overseas. I mean, they're, you gotta figure out how to learn from these past scenarios and not live your life as a victim. You know, like I said, I gave my mom a hard time. You know, it was years. Uh, it took her uh, uh, maybe... So she was with my stepdad from when I was two until I was 11, 10 or 11. So that's a lot of time. That, that went by before she finally got her shit together to move out and get us out of there. And like I said, you know, I'm more mature enough to respect the fact that and be grateful that she got us out of there. But at, like I said, at the time, you know, I'm telling you, if you're, if you're a single mom, you got a rough. I mean, boys need dads. I mean... Yeah. Well, I mean, kids need their dad, period. You know, boys, girls, whatever. You need both parents. I'm not saying one has greater weight over the other, but you need both parents. And if you're going to be that single mom, then, you know, you got to carry yourself a little differently. You can't, you can't be out there in the clubs and... You know, it's like, oh, I have kids, but I'm going to still live my life. Uh, yeah, you can do that. But if you want to raise some little fucking asshole like like I was, I mean, I fortunately snapped out of it. But if you want to raise some little asshole, treats women like shit, and who uh, takes on the personality of the abuser you're trying to escape, and that's what you're going to get, man. That's exactly what you're going to get. If you understand, you know, single moms out there, you got to pay the bills and, you know, you, you want to be happy and go out on dates and stuff like that. But, I mean, you got to make some sacrifices too. And you got you to gotta have a clear uh, mission to get out of that, that rut. Make sure your kids are sorted first before you start doing all that. Because you're going to have bigger problems down the road. Just, things don't just go away. They don't uh, uh, vanish on their own. You can't, you can't trust the kid to figure it out on, on his own. You know, if you can't do it, get help. You know, look for resources. Uh, not just government resources, but NPOs or different clubs. Uh, I was a mentor at Boys and Girls Club uh, 
you know, I felt like I had a good impact on those kids. Uh, you know, just don't, uh, don't put it on cruise control because it's not going to figure it out. It's not going to figure it out itself out on its own. So you got a tough job, suck it up and uh, make it happen. So, um, there are, uh, there are times when I think about, you know, what I could have done differently, uh, with my relationship with my mom, but the good thing is we're talking. I mean, there was a time when, uh, you know, after it, I'd already been out on my own for a while, and uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't speak to her for uh, like two, two or three years. I was so pissed off at her, you know, because I'm kind of, it was a combination of uh, kind of dwelling on the past and you know just seeing it from only my side or from a kid's side, the kid's point of view, and. Uh, you know, because I didn't—I already knew my dad was a fuck up, but uh, you know, as I, I expected more out of my mom. So, um, like I said, when you realize life is short, and you start thinking about what's important and what's not, and holding grudges and all that other bullshit—total waste of time. Uh, so wasted two years not talking to her and not communicating with her, not telling her exactly how I felt, just kind of blowing her off as weak and not worthy of uh, talking to because I didn't value, I, I saw her more of a, a sheep and not, you know, a protector, like a sheepdog versus sheep mentality because if she couldn't protect me from that what all that abuse I mean what what good could it, what good advice could I get from her in life you know I needed I needed uh, solid strong advice and I just felt I couldn't get it from her so I just washed my hands over and stopped talking to her and it wasn't until I'd met my wife where she was just like, hey, man, bury the hatchet. Life's too short, man. Uh, she listened to my story and she's like, ah, that's it, you know. And then it, then it uh, snapped, you know, the, like the light bulb went off. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. You should get over it. People aren't uh, on this planet forever. And no no need clinging on to the the bad when you can repair relationships because I always thought you know it's easy that saying it's easy to fix a broken child and a broken man type of thing I was like oh she just can't she's not going to change not can't help her just no need talking to her but uh, life's not uh, so black and white and now we get along fine. So, 
we don't have like little hug out, you know, emotional hugging sessions, whatever, but it's all good now. So if you're one of those guys who holds on to grudges and, you know, you just write people off and you uh, try to protect yourself from not getting hurt by removing yourself from the situation instead of having the strength to deal with the situation, then you need to make some steps. Some dr you need to take some drastic steps to uh, change that because you're going to be a... There's gonna be a lot more difficult situations that you're gonna have to deal with in life and you can't walk away from all of them. You're not, you know, if you did that, you'd be the last man on the planet. So, tighten up, grab the spear, and kick ass. Leave that crutch on the, on the wayside. All right, out.